0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War video briefing number nine. Obviously, if you are watching this live, this is different. It's different for you. It's different for me. I'm still sitting in front of a camera in a studio, but I am talking to many of you right now live. And, uh, So uh, be patient with me as we work through this very first time. I am taking this extreme measure for me uh, because the Holy Ghost has compelled me to do this. I haven't had a lot of sleep last night. All throughout the night, the Holy Ghost has been speaking to me, and I have been up since early. And if you have a Facebook account and you're my friend or follower uh, if you've been paying attention at all, the Holy Ghost has been blowing up Facebook this morning, saying some very, very challenging things to uh, the church. There was a uh, a post that I made uh, about, uh, oh, I don't remember if it was 6.30 or whenever it was, it was early this morning, uh, that I did not realize at the time that God was going to require me to share that very thing I posted this morning live uh, as a call to war briefing. When I quickly went back through it after he said this to me, I realized that it's exactly a call to war briefing. We do have some call to war briefings that are still in, be, in being processed so that can be posted on both apostoliciron.com and Apostolic Iron and Bible with the Bishop channels on YouTube, but, uh, this is being broadcast live on Facebook and all of our YouTube channels. So, if you can, uh, uh, stay with me with this, the Holy Ghost has some very, very specific things to say. The post I'm referring to asks this question Spiritually, what is the coronavirus about? Spiritually. Now, I don't want anything that I'm about to say in this briefing, this Call to War 2020 briefing, uh, to to, uh, be taken as me implying that there is nothing else that God is doing in the earth but trying to reach his church. He's doing many things. God is a very complex God and is able to do many, many different things on many different levels simultaneously. And none of them ever contradict with the other levels and methods and goals that he's trying to accomplish. Uh, but if you can understand that, receive that from me where I'm not minimizing any person that doesn't know anything about God, even those that deny there is a God and whatever effect this, this crisis is having on them, Not minimizing that for them at all. But my question is, spiritually, for the church, what is the coronavirus crisis uh, really about? Many have concluded that this present coronavirus crisis is about reaching the lost. Uh, But I've got this question. How can it be when God has allowed essentially all the ministries of the church to be complete completely shut down. How can this be about the loss when all of the normal avenues of trying to preach the gospel uh, have been essentially eliminated? While I was going through the post and preparing it to be the notes I'm going to use uh, for this uh, uh, call to war briefing, uh, my wife was listening to uh, the governor of Maryland's announcement this morning uh, March the 19th, about, uh, 10 o'clock or so it was. And the governor has shut down all the malls, shut them down. Uh, he has, uh, he's forbidden anybody that doesn't have a ticket to even enter the airport, even from the curb. Uh, and he has, uh, strictly, and he says it's law and will be enforced, uh, he's strictly reduced all group meetings to no more than 10, period. So if this is God trying to reach the lost, uh, he's sure making it difficult to do that. Uh, I don't believe that is his primary purpose. Now, God is always attempting to bring the gospel to people who are lost. But I think in the uh, short term, in this immediate situation, he has far more uh, critical things he's trying to do uh, with the church. Certainly self-quarantine and social distancing are not evangelism methods, are they? So by the very fact that God has allowed, God has allowed, uh, the government to shut down all types of meetings. No restaurants or whatever. I, I, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say it later. Some think this is religious persecution. You're kidding me, right? You're, you're kidding me that this is religious persecution when they shut down the bars, they shut down all theaters and they've shut down all the restaurants. Come on. That's just an excuse that people are using because they didn't prepare to do something other than have church services to minister to people. And God has been dealing with us for years. I don't want to be unkind here. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm asking you to hear my tone of voice for what it's meant to be. It's a challenge. It's not a rebuke. It's a challenge. The Holy Ghost is challenging me, and I have, by the grace of God, tried to submit myself to be a conduit for him to use me to challenge as he sees fit to do so. And there is an urgency here in the spirit. And if you're praying, and that's not a rhetorical question, I pray that you're praying. If you're praying, you're feeling the urgency of the Holy Ghost. You're feeling it. So I, I understand the frustration that many are, are, are feeling. Pastors are scrambling around all over the place just trying to figure out how to minister to their own church people. And those that have never done any kind of small groups, and you can operate a small group ministry with 10 or less. Some of our groups may be, need to be, need to be divided immediately, so they're down to six or seven or whatever it would be. But to legally meet. And Romans 14 says we need to obey the law. And it is if we were being persecuted because all the bars were open and all the restaurants were open and the malls were open and the ball games were going on and they were suppressing only churches, I go, I'd go, okay, I agree with you. Uh, religious persecution. This is not religious persecution. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is allowing this to happen. Why? Because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get the church's attention. Because for too many people, for too many people, our whole our whole Christianity is built around one or two or three church services a week or maybe some other church service activities or church building activities. How's that working out for us right now? No wonder so many are panicked when we have not tried, to, when so many have not tried to, uh, to institute the house to house portion of the apostolic church. The uh, apostolic church in the book of Acts, no place in the book of Acts was it only a public service. And we don't really have public services. We only have public access services. Public services would be on the street corner, in a park. Services inside our building where we allow people to come in are only public access services. But the New Testament church had public services where no access was restricted by doors or whatever. But they also met house to house. They ministered house to house. Paul said that he ministered to the Ephesians both publicly and from house to house. And the the Holy Ghost was poured out in a house. The Last Supper happened in a house. Even with the temple some few blocks away, God didn't pour out the Holy Ghost in the temple. He poured out the Holy Ghost in a house. And at the end of the book of Acts, chapter 2, it had gone from that house, the upper room of that house to every house. But so many out of fear that people wouldn't participate or so many out of the fact that it's too big a change for them have ignored the house to house portion. Well, here's the problem we all have. This isn't man's idea. This house to house, home to home ministry is God. It's book. It's the word of God. And many have been ignoring that. Well, God Himself is forcing the issue here. God is forcing this issue. God's forcing the issue. Plus, I, I, I felt so bad yesterday I read a post from a man I know that's a good man. He said I I I I, I I've gone online to try to buy a camera from Amazon's to stream our services. What, what kind should I get? And I, I felt so bad for him because you can't just go by a camera and do this. There's a learning curve in this. So how long are his people going to go unministered to by him while he tries to get the equipment and get his learning curve going? Now, some people have streamed their services, and their only vision was just streaming it to their shut-ins. But thank God for that much at least, because now at least they've got some equipment and they've got some experience, and they're able to minister to people. In Jesus' name, this has been a vision and a burden of Antioch for decades. We've had our own studio to be able to record and to, to stream from for a long time. Why? Because it's never been just about us. And I pray it's not going to be just about you. If it has been, I'm praying it's not going to be just about you anymore. The field is the world. And when God allows this whole thing to lift and change, and it seems to go back to normal, I beg of you for your sake, don't go back to normal. You can start your services again. But if you undo everything God has imposed on the church in this period of time, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be positive. I'm going to say this to you again. (laughs) This is not religious persecution because everybody's being treated the same. Saint, sinner, atheist, most devoted Christian, are all being treated the same. That's not religious persecution. And if I violate the law, God doesn't approve of that. Well, we're supposed to gather together. Yeah, that's right. They're called homes. And you can gather together with 10 or less in a home. And you're still obeying the word of God. The, the forsake not the assembling of yourself together doesn't just apply to services inside a designated building called a church. Because where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst. And that's the qualification, the qualifying characteristics of the church. Two or more of us gathered together with him manifested in the midst so we can have church all over this country, and every family needs to be having church. We need to be having prayer meetings, not just token prayer, but prayer. We need to be praying. You talk about your consummate lock-in. We've done lock-ins before. We've, if you've been around the church very long, you've you've done a lock-in before. We're going to church. We're going to lock in and pray. Maybe for a day, some for three days, some for seven days. Others have gone longer. They've locked themselves in the church. Well, it's God doing the lock-in now. God is doing the lock-in. And what is he doing it in? So we can surf the net? So we can watch all those movies we have not been able to catch up on? Or all the episodes of our latest TV show? On Netflix? That's not what this is about. And God, woe be, please, I beg of you to hear me, hear me. I say this in the love of God. Woe be unto the Christian that comes out of all of this when it lifts. And all you've done is done everything you could to avoid confronting yourself in God. God, help us. God, have mercy on us if we do that. God help us. This period of time, this situation from God's perspective is about his church. God, not man, has shut down all of our programs and all of our church calendars, which are filled with activities that we label as ministries. But almost all of them are just ministries to ourselves while the field perishes. We fill up our time and fill up our calendar with stuff that's all turned inward to ourselves. And we don't focus on the world and we don't focus on preaching the gospel to every creature. And we don't have anything we need to talk to God about. and We don't have anything we need to pray about when this is what he's been trying to get us to change all this time. Oh, we throw a little bone to the lost every once in a while while we keep our people so filled with calendar activities They don't have time to teach a Bible study or have a small group in their home because they're too full of every this ministry and that ministry and this ministry and that ministry. We call them all ministries. But how much ministry really takes place? If it's all turned inward, you tell me how much ministry is really taking place. Because God's not really participating in most of it. That's why we see so little results from it. Our people aren't growing from it. Our people aren't getting more mature in God from it. That's why so many pastors are terrified out of their minds right now. They know how hard it is to get people just to come to church, just to be faithful with their ties, because so many of the people that are participating in churchianity have no spiritual maturity at all. They have no relationship with God at all. Because we've let them be like that. Because as long as they fulfill the expectations of the way we've always done it, we've left them alone because otherwise they may leave our crowd. Well, how's our crowd doing now? How's our crowd doing now? And again, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to be unkind. The Holy Ghost of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, the Word of God is speaking, both rhema and logos, is speaking to our hearts, challenging us to be like the church in the book, not like the church across town, not like the one in that big multi-million-dollar building they can't even use right now. Hear me right now in the Holy Ghost. This is not this. Is what current thing's not going to last forever? It's going to get better for a little while, but this right here—it's coming back to this. And one of the times it comes back to this, nobody else is going to be shut down but churches, and that's going to be religious persecution. Yes, it is. It's this is in, in the navy, uh, Coast Guard uses this too. If they see a a. a, a a watercraft that they think may may have drugs, they'll fire a shot across the bow that says, I'm not aiming for you. Not this shot. This is a warning. Stop. We're going to board and search. Because if you keep going, the next shot's not going to be across your bow. It's going to be dead aimed right at you. Well, this is God's shot across the bow, an act of love, an act of grace, an act of Mercy trying to get the church's attention. Do we honestly believe God is pleased with our focus of just having good church while we charge admission to the lost to be saved? We don't charge admission. Oh, yeah, you do. Yes, we do. The admission is you want to get saved, you want to hear the gospel, you got to come to our services. Because if you don't come to our services, we're not preaching to you. We don't have any other plan. We don't have any other methods. We're going to do it all in this building. And this is the admission to heaven for you. Come to our building to get preached to. How's that working now? This isn't me. Be upset with me if you want. I pray you're not. But if you are, it's not me. Look at the situation you're in right now. Now, I know why people got to believe this is the devil. I know why there's some, oh, this is the devil. Really? So God that's sitting on the throne of the universe, according to Colossians chapter one and Ephesians chapter one, who's over everything, far above all principality and power and might, and dominion and every name that is named in this world, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come. So that's not really true. And he's not really in control ultimately. So all this is, Poor old God, the devil's bigger and better than him because he can't, he can't, uh, he, he couldn't stop this. If you believe that, I feel really, really sorry for you, friend. Because you don't have any peace and you're not going to get any peace if you believe the devil can do all of this without God's permission. The devil can't do anything without God's permission. If, if he could do anything without God's permission, there wouldn't be a bunch of people with the virus that are covering. Everybody'd be dying. And then those without, uh, the virus would be dying. That's why That's why the first four horsemen of, the, of Revelation chapter 6 is going to kill a quarter of the people on the earth because he's the restrictions are going to be taken off him because it's the wrath of the lamb. The wrath of the lamb is going to be taking all restrictions off the devil. Just like it was the will of God for Christ to be crucified, but God couldn't crucify Christ, the man Christ Jesus. That's why the scripture says, if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because God knows Lucifer's heart and he knows what buttons to push. And Lucifer so ignorantly just steps right out there and does everything God wants him to, to accomplish God's plan. So I'm telling you right now, I've got absolute peace except for the disturbance I have in my spirit out of love and compassion and burden for my brethren and for my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We, God is serious, folks. And this is just the beginning of this thing. If you think this is going to be over in a couple of weeks, you're not paying attention. Most of the stuff the government is, is doing to ramp up uh, 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 uh the uh the the testing and the the virus and all of that that's not even going to be available for two three, four weeks and yet they're doing that the government, the, the president's going to take over manufacturers to be able to produce all the the medicines and the viruses and the masks and the, the respirators and all that kind of stuff for something that's going to be over two or three weeks. Somebody needs to wake up. Somebody needs to wake up. The People of God need to wake up. This isn't going to change anytime soon. In my spirit, what he's telling me and all the time I'm spending in his presence every day. In fact, I do my best not to get out of his presence at any moment of the day, including while I'm asleep. That's why he talks to me sometimes more in my sleep than he does with me awake. When I'm awake, he's talking through me. When at night, I, 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 he's talking to me most of the time. And what I'm what I'm getting in here, I'm going to be. It's not a prophecy. This is just what I what I'm feeling in my own spirit. This thing is not going to be over in six months. It's not. I don't know how much longer it's going to go because the Lord's already told me this is for a season, and He's allowing it for a season to get the attention of his people, to bring us in alignment with his word. And the first thing he's wanting to bring us alignment with is my house shall be called a house of prayer. Too many churches are known for their facility or known for their preacher or they're known for their music and singing or their programs or whatever, God's done with all that. He's wanting to take his eraser to every bit of that and say, everything you're known for over and above being a house of prayer, I'm eliminating till you get your priorities straight. Now, here's the problem. I said it already. If we go back, when this lifts, and it is going to lift, and life is going to return to normal, but hear me right now. It's fairly easy, even though there's some dispute over it. According to uh, Josephus, uh, Titus and five Roman legions, in fulfilling of Jesus' prophecy, when he was carrying the cross to Golgotha, uh, they were weeping, and he stopped and said to them, Don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Well, about 40 years later, the the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Jews had rebelled against Rome, and they set up a provisional government in Jerusalem, and in 70 A.D., Titus and five Roman legions came and encamped round about the city. But then for some inexplicable reason, they left. Well, Matthew had said to the Christians in that city, when you see Jerusalem encompassed round about with uh, armies, flee to the hills. Don't even go back down to your house and collect stuff. If you're in the field, run. If you're asleep, get up. Leave. Why? Because it's judgments coming. And so when they withdrew, according to many sources, not one Christian stayed in the city. And at some period of time, I don't remember what it was, days, weeks, maybe a month or two, I don't know, I don't remember. Uh, Titus came back and laid seeds to the city. And he laid seeds to the city so long, they ran out of food, were starving to death. People tried to escape. And fittingly enough, he crucified the, the inhabitants of the city that said, crucify him, crucify him on so many trees between the, tre- the seed's trench and the wall of Jerusalem that they ran out of trees for miles and miles around Jerusalem. And finally, according to what I read, a person captured fleeing the wall, fleeing the city. They, uh, they told Titus that people were so hungry, they were killing and eating their babies. And he became so enraged that he ordered that the city be stormed. And they killed every Jew in the city. And according to what sources I've read, not one Christian died, but every Jew in the city died. Over a million Jews died except for about a hundred thousand that they took captives as slaves. And they, they, they demolished the temple and plowed the ground. Now, this is our warning. God has promised in time, worldwide, apostolic revival and harvest. And it is not the purpose of this briefing to go into all the scriptures on this. But he swore with an oath that the blessing of Abraham was going to come on uh, every nation and every family. And Paul said in Galatians 3 that the blessing of Abraham is the Gentiles receiving the promise of the spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. That's not a quote. That's a uh, that's a, 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 a paraphrase. But you can read it. Galatians 3.14. In fact, much of Galatians is talking about that very promise. Both directly and indirectly. God has sworn with an oath against his own deity. According to Hebrews chapter 6. That he's going to do what he promised to Abraham. Or he's a liar. That undeifies him. Now, how in the world is he going to give a, an end-time revival and harvest that affects every family on earth and every nation on earth with the church being really satisfied, camped out in their buildings, given token breadcrumbs, you know, the kind that fell off the table to the dogs, to the lost of this world, spending millions of dollars on us and our facilities and giving our token Missions giving offering to soothe and sapphire conscience. I'm not trying to be unkind, but truth is the truth. And there's no way to say truth gently or calmly enough with that it's not offensive. Truth is offensive. Truth is offensive. It's always offensive to those that don't want to hear it. Paul said, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I love you. I, I don't want anybody offended with me, but I'm much more concerned about God being upset with me because I don't say what he won't said the way he won't said it once it said. That's my responsibility as a conduit to say what he's saying to be said, say it to say the way he wants to say it without adding to or taking away from it in any way. So what is this God? What is God dealing with his church about? He's dealing with the church about to repent about carnality, complacency, and iniquity. And I have dealt with these in previous Call of War briefings, and I will deal with them in more. I have another live briefing here an hour after this is done because I've got too much to say in one live briefing. For today, that's stuff that God has given me to say. But... Carnality? Carnality is trying to do the things of God by ability, human ability, human intellect, and flesh, and self-will. It's carnality, and it's enmity with God, Paul said in Romans 8. Complacency? Complacency, yes. Where is the zeal of his house that ate him up, or his house being being called a house of prayer? Where is that zeal at? Where's that seal at in the body of Christ today? Where is it? He disrupted all those money changers outside. He 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 scattered their their animals that were supposed to be sacrifices. He sc- turned over their tables and scattered their money. He he personally took pieces of rope and braided it bra- uh, braided it into a whip, and literally drove those people out of the totally out of the temple. He lost it. And why would our loving, kind, beautiful, wonderful Savior act like that? Because he was so distressed. He said, "My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves." Well, what are we stealing? We're stealing his glory. Because when we do, when we preach through our hu- human and intellect and ability, what we think is a good sermon, we just stole his glory. When we sing through our own talent and ability. When we play musical instruments to our own talent ability, when we're trying to reach the lost through how nice of people we are and how good we can preach and sing and uh and, 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 and how many programs we've got going on rather than the gospel, we're stealing his glory. When we make true discipleship so convenient and so cheap that anybody can do it, we just violated the word of God. And we've stolen his glory. And iniquity, of course, is, according to Jesus, us living by our will and not the will of our Father. I'm not going to go into it now, but Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus defines iniquity in those verses. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Well, guess what? The only way my will and the Father's will is the same is if I've surrendered my will to the Father. He is never surrendering His will to me. And according to Jesus, when I am work, when I am doing His works by my will, I'm working iniquity. I'm working iniquity. And the scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So what is the greatest symptom of our carnality? and our complacency, and our iniquity. The greatest sim- symptom is prayerlessness. Oh, I know, I know. Many say, but I pray. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. It is still considered prayerlessness by God, even though we are praying token prayers, when we are praying those prayers while having little to no, little to no faith, passion, compassion, burden, zeal when we are using his authority and not using his authority and power for his kingdom, because we're just checking in Jesus to make sure we're okay. I believe in devotional prayer, but what is the biblical purpose of devotional prayer? Those sincere heartfelt devotional prayers. What's the purpose of them? to position me to be a conduit for God to work his word and his spirit, his authority, his name, his kingdom, his will in the earth, the whole rest of the day. So if my heartfelt prayers, no matter how sincere, is where I stop, then it's the height of selfishness, and God does not honor those prayers. He doesn't. Oh, but I feel God when I pray. Really? How do you feel, God? Well, I feel goosebumps. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Job said when he felt a spirit, not God's spirit, a spirit go by, the hairs on his body stood up. Because an external manifestation is always angelic, good or bad. That's not how the spirit of God Manifest himself to his people. Why should he do something on the outside when he's supposed to be living on the inside? Now, the angel of his presence, I can feel like that, yes. But God can min- m- interact with me and minister to me without me ever feeling the angel of his presence because he abides in me. Prayers. Of religious obligation and or religious discipline. I'm disciplined to pray. That's wonderful. Too bad he's not listening to that. They're not biblical. They're not biblical. And God doesn't accept them as biblical prayers. Simply filling up our designated prayer times with empty words is not prayer either. I've heard that all my life. I'm 74 years old and been in the church, been raised in the church. I've heard prayer times. I have a prayer time. That's wonderful. Because you know what prayer time implies? Uh, This is the time I'm setting apart for God. Who gets the rest of your day? You? Me? That's Bible. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. The scripture says to pray without ceasing. See, that's the problem. When you define prayer as a designated period of time when you are on your knees, which is all wonderful, well and good. But when that's what prayer is, how do I pray without ceasing? Well, guess what? I don't mean this sarcastically. I'm telling you how serious God is. Uh, I wonder what happens when they get so desperate they're not even going to allow us to leave the house where they only allow people to bring food to us. They don't even let us go out because they're so desperate to curb this thing. And you got to understand something right now. All the powers that be, regardless of what party they are, they've started this now. They can't stop. Because if they stop before this is over and it breaks out again, they lose big time. They will get a whole lot less grief for it to go on too long, and it wouldn't be when they stop, it's over, than to stop it under pressure from people and it all flare up again and them get absolutely massacred uh, from a figure of speech case uh, <laughs> because they failed to do their responsibility and keep this in place till we were safe. Let me tell you something right now. God is also teaching the world that government can't save you. It can't keep you from getting sick, and it can't heal you if you get sick. So he's at work doing a lot of things right now, but right now I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to the church. So my point to you is this. (laughs) Simply filling up designated prayer times with empty words is not prayer either. Neither is it biblical prayer only praying so that we can tell God all about our will, what we want him to do, what we want him to give us, what we want him to fix. That is not biblical prayer. When I'm praying my will, instead of praying for the will of God to be done, that is, those are prayers of iniquity. Well, God said we could ask anything. Yeah, I know. Yes. And anybody that quotes that like that hasn't even looked at the book. Because I I went back and did a study. I copied and pasted not just the scriptures, but the context, all the scriptures before and after those verses. Sometimes it was 20 and 30 verses. I copied and pasted into a document. Every one of those verses that I could find that either directly said that or implied that. And guess what? The only biblical time you can ask what you will is when you're praying, God, God, Whatever you got to do, save the lost. Save the backslider. Uh-huh. If ye abide in me, Jesus said, John fifteen seven, and I abide in you, and my word abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Well, that whole chapter is about fruitfulness. Next verse is, herein as our Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall be, you be my disciple. Yes. Yes. That's the case right there. And so what are, what are we doing? What are we going to do? How's this going to go? Well, this is what happens. We need to repent. The church is in the church crisis because God is intended to revive his church. Revival is what happens to the church. Revival doesn't have anything directly do, to do with the lost getting saved. Harvest is reaching those who have never been saved. But this can only be the result of true revival. True harvest. Not making a bunch of recruits for our crowd. But seeing people's lives changed, which is the definition of repentance. No change, no repentance. Repentance, change. And Jesus said, if there's, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He also said, Time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 16 and 17. God in good conscience cannot judge this world till he judges the church for the exact same things that he needs to judge the world for, especially the spirit of iniquity, running our own lives, doing our own thing, and calling ourselves Christians. You got time? The great, great majority of us have time. Get your Bible out. Get your Bible concordance out. Get your app out. Get your Bible software out. And just start doing some concordance searches and read every verse on certain subjects. And just see what the Bible says on this stuff. See it for yourself. You got the time. And when you're not doing that, pray. And when you finish praying, study. Look at the word, let the word talk to you. And when you, when you, when that lifts, go back to prayer and let's be revived. Why? Because without true revival, they can't be true harvest. The evidence of revival is the church getting saved. You say, well, the church is saved. Well, the church is saved, but who in the church, in the church is saved is another issue. Because the Bible says the backslider heart's filled with his own ways. And it is possible to sit on the church seat every time the doors open. Pay your tithes on your mint, anise, and cumin. And uh, to obey the pastor and be the strictest separated person around. But run your own life. You're full of iniquity. Not surrender to God. Not surrender to the will of God. Not doing the will of the Father. Doing your own will. That's iniquity. So the church needs to be saved. The fruit of revival when the church gets saved is backsliders being restored. Why? Because both the backslider and the sinner needs to be able to see a difference between the lives of the believer and their lives. Not, the attitude must always be one of love and kindness and grace and passion and, and desire for people to get saved, not beating them up with an axe in 238 but love and the gospel, which is good news. They need to be able to see a difference. They need to be able to see and feel a difference. And you and I, you and I need to be able. We've got to be revived. The church has got to get revived. Again, reviving has nothing to do with the unsaved. It's impossible to revive what has never been alive. So we've used these terms interchangeably all my life. But by definition, they're not interchangeable. Revival and harvest are not the same thing. Revival is what happens when the church's church truly repents, truly repents. When the church truly repents and gets revived in God, then the fruit of that is going to be backsliders are going to start coming on their own accord. Even though yes we need to we need to love them and and invite them and, and and go to them and and do our best to restore them because that's the word of God. Still, conviction will come when the church gets revived. But revival is the foundation of harvest. True harvest that does that does reach the unsaved must be founded upon and empowered by True revival. No true revival, no true harvest. True revival has never happened and can never happen without the saved participating in seasons of repentance, recommitment, rededication, and restoration. Typically, one good prayer meeting has never been enough to produce real revival. It usually takes waiting on God, being focused on God, until the pursuers of revival become truly broken before God. But the question is this, again, just what are we ultimately repenting of? Iniquity. Again, Matthew 7, 21, I'm not going to be able to avoid it. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, done all these uh, many wonderful works in the Greek. There is supernatural, uh, supernaturally miraculous things. And then will he said, then will I profess unto them, which is an official pronunciation, a, an official judgment. Then will I pronounce, uh, uh, profess unto them. I never knew you. Now, obviously, God knows everything. So what does he mean, I never knew you? The Greek word there is, I never knew you in a relationship with me that I approved of. And what is the only relationship he approves us? Us living by his will every day. Not part of the day, every day. Not a few days a week, every day. Well, I can't do that. You're right, I can't do it either. But if I repent of my iniquity and let his grace empower me both to will and to do of his good pleasure, which is his will. I can do it because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So I can't do it to my own self, but I can do it through him. And that's the, that's the whole issue. But he said, I'm going to profess unto them. I never knew you. I never approved of our relationship. Yeah. You've got my spirit. You've been baptized in my name, and, and you, 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 you seek my will to be able to do ministry because you confess to ministry. You prophesy or preach, and you, and you do the supernatural, you cast out uh, miracles, you got power over the, the kingdom of darkness or whatever, and then, and then you, uh, you're doing miracles, you're healing the sick, raising the dead, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know you because I've never approved this relationship, because you expect me to accept you while you do your will your way. When you, when you live by this all by your opinion, and then you even pray that stuff and expect me to honor it. But I'm not doing it, he said. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. It's not going to happen. He said, then will I say unto them, depart from me. How many times in the Gospels did Jesus give a parable or whatever and use the word depart from me? It was an ejecting, permanent ejecting out of his presence, which is called the second death because the ejection is into hell. And he's, here he told us the problem, ye that work iniquity. And what is iniquity according to Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 through 23? Not doing the will of the Father. Well, here's the first and foremost will of the Father. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Is it? Are we doing the will of the Father? Is is the first priority of our lives individually and collectively as the church prayer? And not devotional prayer. Yes, devotional prayer is absolutely essential because devotional prayer is necessary if I'm going to have a relationship with God. If I'm going to be sensitive to his presence, if I'm going to be sensitive to his voice so he can use me, I have to have devotional prayer. It's in devotional prayer that, that, that I, I that the Spirit of God, the Word of God makes sure I've forgiven all my grudges and I've repented of all my sins. And in devotional prayer, by the grace of God, I am crucified with Christ. So I die out to my own will, which then positions me in a place to be his Conduit for his power, his authority, his name, his word, and his will in the earth. That's what it's about. That's what God's trying to do. So, are we doing that? That's the will of God. Jesus taught us to pray. That's how he taught us to pray. Are we doing that? If we're not doing it, we're in disobedience, we're workers of iniquity. We're not doing the will of God. Now, the good news is this. You and I can repent, but repent doesn't mean you're right, God. I'm sorry. It is, I confess you're right, and now I ask for your grace to empower me to change. 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 John the Baptist uh, said, that Jesus would come to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. How hey, many of our churches are trying to keep the fire down because we don't want to offend our guests? Well, while you're trying, you and I are trying to keep from offending our guests, we're running off the host. How could Jesus be on the outside knocking on the door Saying, you know, I'd be willing to fellowship with you if you'd let me in. No, we put him out because he make, may, may make our guests uncomfortable. Really? Really? And that's in the apostolic church? We're not talking about the mega church down the street, the mega light church, that that's that's what they're trying to do is be mega light, mega approved of by the world. No. That's in our midst. We have people that are changing how they minister in the church building to make our guests comfortable. Let me tell you something: God does something things when He's manifesting Himself to divide the hungry from the not hungry, and if we do His will and we walk in the Spirit. You can't prevent him from doing that or without displeasing him. And the scripture says, quench not the spirit. And we are quenching the spirit. And we need to repent. Old sister so-and-so is going to go off. Somebody set her down. Thank God for old sister so-and-so. She's the one can remember what it was like to have fire. Everybody else is just a cold fish. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be unkind, but it's true. <sighs> I've been to way too many church services. I had to endure to the end, and it wasn't easy because we had our program and our format. I mean, we could we couldn't even make announcements without reading every word we say. There's low flow of the Holy Ghost anymore because we're trying to impress everybody and make sure we say everything exactly right. Oh God, help us! Where is that in the book? Turn this thing into a production, a performance. And God's on the outside. Thankfully, he's still knocking on the door. But if we don't listen and repent and change, he's going to walk away. and We can just keep on doing what we're doing because he's, there's going to come a point he's going to spew us out of his mouth. Don't forget, it was the church. And Laodicea, he called it the church and the church at Ephesus Ephesus some of the greatest revelations God ever gave through Paul were written to the church at Ephesus how could they ever leave their first love stuck by the doctrine boy they were all out to prove what ministries were right and which words which ones weren't but they lost the whole focus wasn't about them and their purity. It was about loving Jesus. It's about loving Jesus. And he told both of those churches to repent. And so those of us, those that may be upset over this call because you're listening to a man and maybe looking at a man's face, well, that's the challenge always, isn't it? And God chose to do it this way because the hungry will hear God and not hear a man. I'm not God. I'm just a conduit. And the hungry and the sensitive are hearing God. The hungry, the carnal, the complacent, that the workers of iniquity, they don't want to hear this. And they are mad out of their mind at me right now. I'm sorry. I'm not apologizing to you. I, I, I feel bad that it's like that. But I'm going to please him. Not pleasing you. I'm going to please him. Why? Because... The second greatest commandment is to love others as you love yourself. And I love him enough that I am going to give my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength to him. And when I do that, I now have to be a conduit to let him love others through me, just like I've let him love me, which is tell the truth, tell the truth. None of this type of prayer is acceptable to the one with nail prints. He gave everything for us. We're going to give him back a pittance. We're going to negotiate with him about how much of our lives we give him and how much we're going to keep for ourselves. We think that's going to fly. Not happening, church. It's not happening. It's not going to happen. God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. I pray in Jesus name right now that God would give every one of us eyes to see what he's trying to show us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to our to the church and a heart to receive so that a heart that's sensitive enough to perceive God talking to receive what he's saying and to believe it to the point we act on it because if there is no life of prayer. We have no real relationship with God. The number one way that a real relationship with God is lived out is through a life of prayer. Number one way. Number one. Number one. Number one way. The first, the lifestyle of the revived is a prayer first priority of life. According to Jesus it is impossible to have a true, genuine relationship with God without that relationship being expressed or lived out by and through prayer first and foremost. Oh, my friend, the truest and simplest biblical definition of being biblically apostolic is Acts four 6 and 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want this one verse to be the number one verse that describes my life in Him. And I pray in Jesus' name that your hunger and desire for God would cause you to pray that this would be the number one verse that describes your life in God and His ministry through you. In Jesus' name, nothing less will ever be okay with Jesus, ever. So, are we the church allowing God to use this season that he has orchestrated to fulfill his purpose in it? Or are we carnally just trying to survive until we can go back to our previous spiritual conditions? The Lord Jesus Christ, the lost souls of mankind, And all of eternity is waiting for your answer and mine. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray the spirit of grace, the spirit of mercy, the spirit of peace on you and I. I loose upon us the spirit of hunger and thirst after righteousness. I loose upon you and I the grace of God for the kingdom of God to become our first priority every day and his righteousness and not our own. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this is the case. I, I, I beg of you in Jesus, receive this. I beg of you for your sake, for the kingdom's sake, for the lost sake, for your soul's sake, for your household's sake, for your eternity's sake. Please receive this word in Jesus' name. Amen.